Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg with another episode. Not a, not a real episode of Find Your Film. This is once in a while I will actually drop an interview or two for our podcast feed. Okay? The latest one I'm doing is director, writer-director Lee Dong. L-I-D-O-N-G. Lee Dong is an Asian, Asian-Canadian based out in Toronto. The reason why my voice right now sounds like an ASMR intro or something like that is because my wonderful mother is sleeping in the other room. It is 4.03 a.m. in Los Angeles and I'm trying to keep my voice down. So apologies for that. Now, I have been an, I have been a journalist, entertainment reporter, radio person. I've interviewed actors and filmmakers and reviewed films, watched movies. That's been my job gratefully since 1991 when I was a cub reporter. And, and I never knew what cub meant, but anyways, I was a cub reporter for the UCLA Daily Bruin. And I started as an intern in 1991. Okay, the reason why I'm, I'm saying that is it's 2021, 30 years down the road. And I can count... I don't think I've interviewed, I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people in my 30 years, okay? And I could probably name 10 filmmakers. It'll be hard for me off the top of my head to name 10 directors who were Asian. And here's the thing, that includes Asian, Asians in Asia, Asian American filmmakers. And this is the first time I believe I've ever interviewed an Asian Canadian filmmaker, and that is the aforementioned Lee Dong. So this interview just on a personal level means it's cool for me because an Asian myself, I'm part Filipino, part Thai, and I never get the chance to actually, and I'm not saying all Asians bond in one big melting pot or, you know, you know like I, yeah, that's not what I'm saying. I, it's What's interesting is just for me on a statistic level, look, here, here's the thing. I haven't interviewed the, I had, haven't interviewed the filmmakers from Minari, The Farewell, even though I did interviews for The Farewell. I have, have not interviewed Andrew on for that wonderful film he did called Driveways, which you need to see. So, in, or John Chu, I have not interviewed a bunch of Asian filmmakers. Okay, I'm going to say, get that out of the way. But what I have done in 30 years is I have had access to a lot of movies that are coming out, and I have in the process, done a ton of interviews. So whether or not I have interviewed or not, maybe several other Asian filmmakers out there, sort of isn't the point. It's just the fact that I have cast, just due to my contacts and due to my experience, I have cast a, a, a large net. And yeah, I just haven't, for some reason, I don't have the stats for this. I just haven't had the chance to sit down with a lot of Asian filmmakers. Okay, so this is a topic down the road we can talk about down the road. It's just, it's interesting now as hopefully as the years go by that more Asians, whether you live wherever part of the world you live, ha- has a, they, they, he or she will, will have more opportunities in cinema, okay, in directing movies. And yeah, it's one of these things that really continues to perplex me, and especially perplexes me right now that I'm it's great that I was able to interview Lee Dong, but yeah, this is the first time I've interviewed an Asian Canadian director. Now you can go either way. Is it because Asians don't want to enter the film business or, or direct? I don't think personally that's the case. Yeah, so this is hopefully down the road. I will come back on these podcast feeds and bring more just people of color, 
um, to this feed. And most, you know, honestly, on a selfish level, most importantly, they will have the reason why I'm bringing this to this podcast feed is they will have an interesting story, interesting movie to plug, to promote. And Lee Dong definitely has that with Stealing School. It is currently available on U.S. digital platforms as of February 26th. So go support Stealing School. It's now streaming. It is only 74 minutes. If you know anything about me, the shorter the movie is, especially since I'm trying to get to 500 movies in the year of 2021, the better. And this movie counts. It's 74 minutes, but there is a lot of story packed, jammed packed into this narrative. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to read the plot synopsis for you, and then I'm going to talk a little bit. Okay. Quote from Vertical Entertainment, Stealing School captures the modern day anxieties of a generation currently facing uncertain futures told through the story of April Chen, played by Celine Tsai, an Asian Canadian tech prodigy accused of plagiarism by her teaching assistant, played by Johnny Kelts. That's the main story, okay? So it's the battle between April and her teaching assistant. Her teaching assistant claims that she's plagiarized several times. He wants her, he brings her to a college tribunal, and the tribunal will decide whether or not she graduates. April obviously has her share of anxiety because her family, they've come all the way from China to, I'm assuming this place is set in. Canada, Toronto specifically, because Li Dong is based in Toronto. But anyways, April is worried. She's going to, she wants to save face and graduate and honor her, her family. The problem is this annoying teaching assistant believes she is cheating. And though he is, he comes off in the story as just the most irritating human being on the face of the planet, he may have a point. If April actually did cheat, she has to be brought to, up to task, no matter no matter if no matter her predicament, no matter if if that breaks her family's heart. Cheating is cheating. He does have a point, and that's what's interesting about Lee Dong's narrative is he makes the protagonist could actually be the teaching assistant, okay? But what would happen if your hero or heroine ends up being the person you like, the, you don't even like in the story? And April Chen actually is the protagonist, again, played by Celine Tsai. And one wonders, she is marked to be maybe a victim in this whole tribunal situation. But did April really cheat? So these are the questions that Li Dong brings out. What's also cool about the movie is the members of the tribunal have their own backstories and reasons why they are there in this sort of mini closed off trial based on, you know, that looks into the validity of April Chen's education. So yeah, it's very, very, very cool. Stealing School, it's getting no, obviously this is an indie film from being distributed by Vertical Entertainment. IMDb has it listed as released in 2019. So I'm assuming it was released maybe a, a year, year and a half ago over in Canada and maybe who knows international markets. As I'm looking right now, as of Sunday, 4.10 a.m., February 28th, there are no Rotten Tomato ratings. Let me look. But there are three three positive reviews from critics. Okay, so I am not a registered Rotten Tomatoes critic. I need to do that this year. But anyways, I give it a recommendation. 
it's not fancy as far as visually or you don't know anyone. You don't know. I don't. I didn't know anyone. Any of the actors involved in this movie. Okay. And look at this. This is DIY. Lee Dong directed, produced, and wrote the whole thing. So props to him for doing it. The reason why you should check Stealing School out, in my estimation, is well, you know, you can support Asian Canadian Asian Canadian filmmakers for which I know there's one, okay? I'm sure there's multitudes out there, but you can support indie filmmaking, okay, via streaming, okay? And I'll have a link where you can where you can uh, stream this movie in, a, in the podcast show notes. Uh, actually, and the most important thing is, if you want a good story, it's a really well-acted, well-written 74-minute piece that has its share of twists and turns. It will leave you guessing in the end whether or not April Chen is guilty or innocent. I love that stuff. You know, my good buddy, Eric Holmes, co-host of the show, he loves courtroom dramas, and maybe I should definitely get him a link to see, maybe if he would like it as well. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of the courtroom drama genre as well. So I really appreciated some of the dynamics that Lee, Lee Dong brought into this equation. I'm glad to really promote this as well as a podcaster because this movie's good. I'm, I'm happy. I'm glad I watched it. I was trepidatious that I was fearful that maybe it wouldn't be good. 74, 74, I don't see many 74-minute movies unless they were directed back in the 1940s by a bunch of Poverty Row filmmakers. Poverty Row filmmakers, by the way, that's not a pejorative. pejorative. That's, those are filmmakers who really use their resources to make really interesting movies for a very short period, of, for a short running time in a very low-budget aesthetic. And this movie's low-budget, but... It doesn't. It doesn't look cheap at all. Looks really cool. Has you actually feel like you're in a college environment? But it is. It is set within a closed-off space within the uh, a, a room in, in the college and, and a bathroom and a break space. So there's very limited locations. But the but the main attraction for stealing school will be for the actual drama that unfolds itself. So this movie, to be honest, surprised me. I am very glad to share my interview with Lee Dong. And, you know, I would love to for you guys who are, who are listening to this feed to say, support Asian filmmakers, support this, support that. And that's something, to be honest, in my 30 years, that I should have done more as a member of the media and hunt out more more Asian filmmakers from from all walks of life, from all corners of the earth, who want to promote or plug their film or support them on, on their journey. I should be I should be more supportive and just instead of looking out for number one, because when when one looks out for number one, you end up, I guess in my case, sometimes feeling like number two. So I am more than happy to share this interview with Lee Dong. It was a really cool interview. And yeah, it, it's a good movie. Check out Stealing School. And here is my interview with Lee Dong. By the way, a couple more things about Find Your Film. We will be recording our, our weekly our weekly review, recommend review thing on Thursday. Wednesday, I'll release it on Thursday with Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky. We have a bunch of really interesting movies to talk about. The indie movie Stray, which centers on a bunch of dogs living and existing in Turkey. And another movie called Lucky, which stars Brea Grant. Okay, so check back with me and Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes later this week. And then several days later on the weekend, we'll be recording a director's spotlight on this filmmaker named Ronald Neem. And 
I, yeah, as of two weeks ago, I had no idea who Ronald Neem was. But lo and behold, he's directed The Poseidon Adventure, the first one, and a Walter Matthau film called Hopscotch. I recently interviewed, I, no, I recently watched a movie called Golden Salamander, which I think was made in the early 50s, starring Trevor Howard and Anouk Ami. And it was wonderful, really, really wonderful movie, black and white film, very espionage thriller drama kind of thing. Really, really wonderful movie. And that was directed by Ronald Neem as well. I'll be talking about that down the road for our spotlight on Mr. Neem. But most importantly, here is my interview with writer, director, producer Lee Dong for Stealing School. And again, it's available for streaming in U.S. markets. Thank you guys so much for supporting us on Find Your Film. Have a great week. Lee, first of all, Stealing School, really interesting film, especially I would I would recommend this film to people who love courtroom dramas, multi-layered character yeah. dramas. Sure. And actually, I was watching one of your previous interviews, and you were talking about this movie I never heard about as being one of the just many inspirations for this. Can you t- just quickly talk about Get and how that yeah. sort of led that to this layered drama for you? A Get was an Israeli movie that was all set in one courtroom, and it was about a woman trying to get a divorce. Uh, can you hear me all right, by the way? Oh, yeah, you're perfect. Right? Yeah. Okay, perfect. So it was about a woman trying to get a divorce, which is apparently very difficult um, in Israel. I was very struck with how in that movie they were able to ring out so much drama and comedy and like talk about big things in life, like what does it mean to be a good wife or what does it mean to be a good husband? What is love and what does faith have? What role does faith play in a marriage? Basically, they were able to talk about everything uh, many topics inside of one story that was all set in one room. And I thought that if I was going to make a first feature, it should be something where I get to talk about a lot of these things that interest me, including, you know, academics and the gender power dynamics and the importance of liberal arts. And and I, if I could use the same story vehicle that they use, which was that of a courtroom drama, then that would be a very uh, potent way to sort of tell my story, but also be able to go into these different things that I wanted to explore. You know, I, I'm assuming, Lee, yeah, you, you grew up a cinephile and I'm, I'm way older than you. I grew up in the 80s and 70s and 80s. And, you know, yeah. I was actually on, I just got invited recently to that app Clubhouse, which I, I just started using. Yeah. And I went into this room and there, there's just Asian American in film and cinema room. And they were talking about the uh, how to properly portray or just portray in a layered sense, Asians in, in movies and I didn't chime in, uh, but because I'm a new adopter to it. But I've been interviewing, I've been interviewing people for over 30 years, and whether you're from Canada or the U.S. or even internationally, Asians in cinema, it's such a, a hard thing to even see on screen. Was that one of just your many motivations as far as this? She's obviously Celine's obviously great in this, but was that a big, big motivation for you as far as just having an Asian face serve as the lead lead person in, in your movie? Well, I, I mean, I have obviously have a lot of experience being Asian, and I wanted to tell a story that, um, you know, maybe hasn't been told from that specific angle. And um, there is this sort of bad stereotype in 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 colleges that Asian students tend to cheat um, because of cultural reasons, allegedly. So I wanted to sort of subvert that idea, and um, I wanted to sort of just just kind of run with it and see what kind of story I could get out of it. And yes, of course, I wanted to portray Asians on stage, uh, sorry, on screen, because it's something that, like you mentioned, is not something that's seen very uh, often, but also it's something that I knew a lot about being Asian, that is. And so I felt like I, if I, if anyone's going to tell the story, it should be me because I would, I had more 
sort of direct knowledge of um, some of the issues that are presented in the movie regarding regarding race and uh, and whatnot. Not so much gender, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, writing this movie was this an organic experience for you? Was it pretty easy to write it, or was it a lot more difficult? Because each character in this movie they have their own backstory, and there's sort yeah. of a world within a world with these people, and I think that's what a really huge strength with what, you, what you're trying to do with the narrative. Thank you. Yeah, that's a. Interesting question. Certain parts are really easy and certain parts are very difficult. I suppose the, the courtroom drama itself, I had to do a lot of research on and, and you know, there's a certain structure that it has to follow and, and um, each scene has to be very sort of um, confrontational, essentially. So there has to be a lot of conflict woven in and that and just kind of like getting the structure correct and getting the right balance of conflict with character development was was tricky. But the issues that that are being talked about in here came very easily to me, such as, you know, the suspicion that Asians cheat, the idea that uh, a liberal arts education might be useless, that entire university education might actually be useless. These are things that I've thought about a lot. And I've, you know, I've, I've done a lot of reading on. So, so I was ready to talk about those issues, but um, the structure itself was the most difficult part for me. Um, and the characters, you know, I, I think I just, the characters, thank you for saying that every one of the characters has their own sort of side story. Yeah. It's important to me that everyone gets presented in a rounded way. It, it's very strange when there's a character in a movie and they only serve like one function, you know, like just to say like, you know, oh, don't do that. Don't go into that house. And then then they're gone. Like if you're going to have an actor come out for the day, you might as well just give him some lines that um, make him feel, you know, have some character, you know, have some conflict, have some have a personality. And I think it makes the movies more rich and uh, interesting. And can you just talk about your two lead actors? Because this movie really is anchored. I mean, even though each person has their, even the lawyer, really interesting character. But can you just talk about casting your leads? And just did you already know that they would play off each other really well? Because there has to be that spark for that narrative to really click. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know that they would play off each other that well. When he was cast, the antagonist, Jonathan Keltz, was in L.A. And Celine... Uh, April Chen, the, the lead was in Toronto and they never met. Um, and then the first time that they met was literally day one shooting on set. And they, yeah, I know. And they were really, they clicked really well. They both brought the right energy and the right performance to the table in which they would basically conflict in the most um, volatile way possible, the way that I intended. And, you know, it, when I was shooting it, I'm like, oh, this is great. Like these two actors are going, are doing really well. And then it was only years after the fact that I looked back and I was like, wow, I was actually really lucky because I didn't know that that was going to happen. Like so many things could have gone wrong with that relationship uh, with, with those two actors. I didn't know that, that um, I didn't know that the chemistry was going to be that great until, until I shot it. Um, I, I guess I feel like one of those people, you ever see one of those, like security cam footages of someone walking down the street and they almost get hit by a car, but they don't even notice it. And then they turn around. They're like, Oh wow. I almost died just now. That's interesting. I kind of felt like that because I felt like if the chemistry between those two is off, the whole movie is different. And I didn't, and I just kind of took the fact that the chemistry was great for granted. And I just look back on, I'm like, wow, that, that could have really gone wrong, but I was really lucky that it went extremely correct. So, so I would like to say that I, had like some superior casting knowledge or whatever, but really it was, I thought he was right for the role. I thought she was right for the role. And the fact that they were right for each other in their roles was mostly luck, I would say. Speaking of luck, I, I, th I think in your case, also very DIY filmmaking and very hard work and perseverance. But 
when other filmmakers or wannabe filmmakers come up to you for maybe just some kind of requisite advice, because you're in the independent filmmaking sphere, you're not living in LA, you don't have, I'm assuming a million contacts right at Fox or Disney Studios. What kind of advice do you give people, um, colleagues or people who really want to break into the business? Because it's what you're doing is such a, it's, there's so many, I guess, hills to climb, it seems. Yeah, and I, I think I, I I don't count myself as in the business. I, I mean, I made this movie. It's coming out in America at, in uh, February 26th. I, I think it's great. I'm really looking forward to people see it. But in terms of my future, I mean, it's very unclear to me what's going to happen after this. You know, there's been so many filmmakers who they're one and done. They, they give it their all, that, that one shot, and then they never make another movie. So I hope to not be one of those. Um, so I, I'm very hesitant to give people any advice on the industry and coming into it. If, if people are talking about, if people are already making their first movie and they ask for advice that I'm a little bit more qualified to give advice on. I know that's not exactly what you asked, but it, it it's, it's, uh, but my advice has always been um, focus on your health, like stop drinking, stop smoking. If you can start exercising, start sleeping eight hours a day, eat really, really healthy food, like three months up till production, because your health is going to be one thing that you can control and you're going to want to use your coping mechanisms and drink and like, you know, things are going to go wrong all the time. But I would urge people to not do that because when you're feeling physically healthy, that's when your mind is most sharp and you need, your mind needs to be sharp like 16 hours out of the day on set. And that, that is something that you can control. You can control your diet and your sleep and, you know, your exercise, but uh, you cannot control the things that go wrong on set. So focus on your health is, is what I always tell people. What about the age-old discussion about throwing, you know, maxing out your credit cards or throwing as much as your nest egg can to to, no. to your own project? Is that sort of really depends on the person regarding how far they are or how passionate they are about to make regarding making their movie? You know, I, I remember a piece of advice that I think Dave Chappelle used to have give young comedians, and um, and he was and it was a similar question. It, it was like, would you tell a young comedian to like not have a backup plan, just go for it and like go try to be a professional, throw everything, throw their life savings into it and just go be go pro right away. And Dave Chappelle said, I would never tell anyone that because there are people who are willing to do that. If, if you're willing to throw that much of yourself and that much of your life into your dream of becoming either a filmmaker or a comedian, then you don't need me to tell you to do that, <laughs> you know? So, so if you're, if you have that kind of passion, then you're going to do it, whether I tell you to or not. So I, I'm very hesitant to give that advice because I, I'm afraid that it'll push someone into someone who's not willing to do that uh, into, into overcommitting themselves, I suppose. So I, I don't agree with that uh, specifically. I think if you feel it in your bones, that that's what you want to do, then you should. But if you don't feel it, then don't listen to someone else to tell, who tells you that you should. Is that what you did? Half and half, a little bit. I, I, I guess a little bit. I wouldn't say, I mean, I'm not, I'm, a, I'm an Asian, I'm an Asian kid, right? So I, I'm not, I don't throw a complete caution to the wind. I have like several backup. I mean, I have a law degree. So if I was a real, real hardcore filmmaker, maybe I wouldn't have even gone to law school. Maybe I would have taken that money and made a movie earlier in my life. But I do have a law degree. So I, I do have, you know, some cushions, some backup plans and whatnot. But yeah, no, I wish I was that brave, like the Kevin Smith, like, you know, throw max out all your credit cards thing. I, I don't know if that's, I don't even know if that's working for young filmmakers. It's been a while since we've had one of those stories, right? Where yeah. it's like, this is his first film and they came from nothing and they maxed out their credit cards. Like who was the last person who has that kind of story? Like probably Kevin Smith, as far as I can remember. And I'll never say that you're wrong. Yeah. A couple more questions. You know, this is very hard. Right off the top of your head, you know, can you can you name one of your all-time favorite films? Meaning not 
this this film, this pick would be not a nostalgic pick, but a pick that still today as a filmmaker or as a cinephile still resonates with you today. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot, but um, I guess I'll pick a popular one. Ocean's Eleven is one that I always return to. Uh, Steven Soderbergh's my favorite filmmaker. Ocean's Eleven, I mean, the more I watch it, every time I watch it, I'm just like, I'm, I feel so bad about myself because like, it's so good. And he does, he just does things in such a funky way. Like Ocean's Eleven is a pretty down the middle heist movie, but it's just done in such a good way and it holds up and it's interesting and the characters are so well fleshed out, even though like there's 11 of them and they all, again, like my movie, they kind of all need to be real characters. So you gotta find time to, to sort of give them all space to breathe. But um, yeah, it's a movie that I return to and I, I try to, you know, a lot of good movies that you watch. I don't know if you find this when you return to them, you're like, oh, OK, that's how he did this. That's how he did that. That's how he made this moment happen. You can kind of break down the story structure. You can kind of break down how they directed and put the movie together with Ocean's Eleven. It's really hard. Like every time I go back, I'm like, I don't understand how you got to this point. I don't understand how these two scenes came together. And also I'll notice something that I didn't notice the first 10 times I watched it. So Ocean's Eleven is really, and it's enjoyable by a mass audience, right? So that's something that's always appealing to me. I guess. Are you also intrigued, you know, he's your favorite filmmaker. Is it because he yeah. continues to to explore the form with every project, meaning whether it's an iPhone, it's a DV camera, or it's just digital? Is that also his continued journey into just pushing the form? Is that one why you yeah, love him? Yeah, and, and he... And also he's been experimenting with distribution as well to, you know, varying degrees of success. But um, yeah, he, he just seems to never be happy with settling into, you know, like he could do another Oceans movie if he wanted to probably, but he doesn't want to. He wants to try new things. He wants to, you know, push his own artistic boundaries. He wants to explore subjects that he's that haven't been explored. He wants to try new form forms of filmmaking, you know, like he shot the high flying bird with, um, with an iPhone essentially. And yeah, so it is that constant, like trying to reinvent yourself, constant pushing the envelope in terms of what's possible with the form that, that really earns my respect and my admiration. Plus he's got his own alcohol, which I think is really cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, very, my yeah. final question to you is, is just, uh, again, I've been doing this for 30 years, Asian filmmakers in general, I interview a lot of people, maybe thousands o- over my career, maybe hundreds, hundreds upon hundreds. I've interviewed yeah. maybe at the most, I'm thinking this is a generous number eight or nine yeah. Asian filmmakers, you, Wang yeah. Wang. I haven't interviewed Andrew, Andrew on yet, uh, but mm-hmm. there's very, very few. I haven't interviewed, um, yeah, I can't think of many, you know, the Farewell filmmaker, I haven't interviewed her yet, but did that movie. Lu Wang, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Wang, yeah. So do you just take that out of your, the equation? Do you know, not even think about that and you just really go about your work as a filmmaker? Because that number, just from a media perspective, that's a very staggering fact from my p- personal POV. It seems low, right? It seems pretty low. <laughs> um, listen, I can't divorce myself from being Asian, so I, I can't really ignore it. I I think I'm probably moving forward. I'll probably lean into it. You know, there's a big push for a BIPOC filmmaking and you know diverse stories and whatnot. We'll see how much of that is lip lip service and how much I actually get a job after this. So if I get a job after this, that means it's not lip service. I'll just let you know that if Hollywood gives me a job, but if it, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think that. The, you know, the story that I told in student school was an Asian immigrant story, but I don't think it prevents, you know, white people from enjoying it. A lot of white people have enjoyed it. But I, I do think I'm going to lean into the fact that 
this is who I am and these are the kinds of movies that I'm going to make and these are the stories that I'll tell even if even if it doesn't necessarily feature an Asian protagonist I'm always going to have my Asian immigrant perspective over the film in one sh- way or another no matter what the story is thank you so much really love your film and um, continued so success much. man just keep on making thank movies so bro so thank you thank you thank you so much thanks for uh, allowing me the space to talk yeah. about it